Susan Offen. And I'm Laura Potter. And we're your hosts today for Pure Truth. We want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for listening. Today, our topic will be on the seven mountains of influence, and the mountain we will be discussing is economy. And our scripture for today is from 2 Chronicles 2020. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. Mm, That's a good one. Today we are continuing our series on the seven mountains of influence, and today we will be discussing the mountain of economy. And here's a quick review of the seven mountains that we've been talking about. They are media, family, arts and entertainment, economy, religion, education, and government. And from that list, we have already done episodes on media, education, and government. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to them, we encourage you to do so. The information we are discussing today is very relevant to what's going on around our world today. Mm. So, and the information we are discussing comes from Johnny Enloe's book, The Seven Mountain Prophecy, Unveiling the Elijah Revolution. And the other one is Johnny and Elizabeth Enloe's book, Rise, A Reformer's Handbook for the Seven Mountains. You know, the Lord gave Johnny a prophetic word regarding all seven of these mountains many years ago. And it helps us understand God's heart and what he wants us to do to overcome the enemy that currently has control of all seven of these mountains. You know, from what God is speaking to many of his prophets, his different prophets, I think we can all agree that we are on the right track. Right. We are advancing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. We will defeat the enemy. Yes. The enemy, unfortunately, is deeply entrenched within each of these mountains, and God is going even deeper to expose those roots, God will reveal how and when this happened. He will show us these things so that we may never be deceived in this way again. That's right. And I'm excited that we are so close. Are y'all? Right. Yes. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. You know? we we're fighting from a place of victory. Yes. Yes. And we, so we're we just already taking back it. what belongs to us. Right. right. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. And for the amount of economy, we see God as our provider. He is love displayed as riches. Johnny Enloe says, these are the riches of God's love expressed as the abundance of resources through our economy. Our world economic system was meant to reflect the heart of God as our provider. And when it does, we will know it because there will be no lack. Man, can y'all just think, mm, even uh, imagine that'll that. will be a wonderful thing. Yeah. Right. No worries. Right. You know, to the degree that love as riches is poured out as practical resources and basic needs are met for quality of life for all of humanity, we can know that God is involved in our economy, whether it's our personal, national, or global economic status. Mm. God is involved in every aspect of our lives. He cares about every single detail because he's good. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into this mountain of economy. Okay, so Johnny describes an internet definition of economy as a system of production and distribution and consumption. Another definition is the efficient use of resources. So when applied at a big picture level, like national, for example, the economy is the proper flow and balance of the production of resources, the distribution of resources and the consumption of resources. An economy is healthy when there is a proper relationship between these three elements. The most common area of breakdown and corruption is between production and distribution. Right. Right. Well, we all remember the shortage 
of toilet paper, (laughs) baby food, and formula during COVID, right? (laughs) It was even hard to find cleaning supplies. I remember that. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. (laughs) Yes. That just, it disrupted the flow. So what's going on there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think. It all had us questioning. Yes. What's going on here? What's really going (laughs) on? What's really going on here? Right. Exactly. And the world economy is much more complex with its multifaceted influences and world economists disagree among themselves on cause and effect of all the different pieces of the economic puzzle. Yeah. They don't only disagree on the future outlook of the world and national economies, they also debate each other's interpretation of the reasons behind historical collapses and boons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Johnny shares in layman's terms his understanding of world economics because it's important to understand in order to take this mountain. Theoretically, world money traders create economic realities. More than a trillion dollars are traded every day just in world currency speculations. That is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. These traders examine the, last, the latest external and internal reports on a nation's economic health and determine the value of the nation's currency. They buy currencies that seem to be strengthening and sell currencies that seem to be weakening. Mm -hmm. A significant sell-off of a currency can then create its own ripple effect where traders get rid of a currency because that's what others are getting rid of too. Yeah, it's all driven. A lot of times it's the stock market's driven by fear. Yeah. Right. Pretty much all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Rumors and perceptions are as powerful as realities in this world of high finances. Theoretically, this daily activity was more power to determine a nation's financial health than any real economic action taking place in the nation. Johnny gives an example of a case which was the Great Asian Economic Collapse in 1997. It profoundly affected nations like Indonesia, South Korea, Thailand, and Malaysia. World currency traders lost confidence in these economies, which started with one and led to a domino effect. No one knew when it was going to stop. That's scary. Yeah. It's ripples extended worldwide. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, it seems that world currency speculators overreacted to certain reports and trends. Mm. In doing so, they threw several nations into a spiraling economic crisis. This devastation was arguably created by world currency speculators as fears, like you said, Laura. Right. And concerns prompted them to overreact. They simply responded out of their own fear based on certain financial reports. Mm -hmm. He says, it's important to realize that you can do all the right things, get out of debt, have a solid retirement plan, and keep a good amount of liquid money available, and still not be able to compensate for economic crisis that comes our way. Courtesy of these currency currency traders. traders. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So world traders also greatly affect economics through stocks and shares especially those on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Just as speculation can create overreactions in the currency trade, daily stock exchanges can turn volatile at a moment's notice. That would be very stressful. Oh, it is. Yeah. Analyzing it. My husband watches the market, you know, because that's what he does as an IT manager. He works with retirement and stocks and all that stuff. So, you know, mutual funds, all those things change on a, like, very quickly on what's going on in the world, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Biden's not doing a good job, you know, the market goes down, you know, and so it's a constant battle, and it's constant watching, and you're always, I always notice when there's a lot of fear in the air, 
stock market goes down. Everybody yeah. starts trading. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. pretty predictable. Yeah. I mean, not the stocks, but just watching people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Though the economy is a complex mountain, Johnny believes it operates on easy-to-understand premises. It operates out of the law of supply and demand. Mm -hmm. When he mentioned before that a healthy economy is based on the proper balance between production, distribution, and consumption of resources, the complication to this is that no resources have an actual determined value. They only have perceived value. Mm -hmm. This makes resources subject to changes in value. They are tied to the actual perceived supply and demand. No resource has a guaranteed value. Mm. An example he gives is Venezuela and how inexpensive gas is there. His friends have told him they can get a full tank of gas for a dollar. Oh <laughs> can you wow. imagine? A dollar. would <clears throat> uh, be driving all over the place. Right. That's the way it was years ago in the right. United States. A whole, but, well, not a whole tank, <clears throat> but a gallon of gas was a dollar. This is they're saying here at the full tank of gas for a dollar. Well, yeah, that that's the way it was back in the, like the fifties. Okay, well, I was alive then. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I just remember my parents talking about that. Yeah. They had those big, big cars, you know, like a fifty-seven right. Chevy oh, and things like that. Gas guzzlers. But you know, it didn't cost them as much money. Of course, you know, people didn't have as much money back then right. either. That's true. You know, that's right? True. So it really is is more. It it balances out with what you're making and yes. all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. You could go down a whole line of thinking on that. So, <laughs> And then, of course, here in the United States, one tank can cost much more than $50. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. I used to fill up my car and it was 80 bucks, almost $100 when the prices went up. Yeah. When you, they got stupid crazy. Yeah. I mean, they're still. If you got a truck, they're still crazy. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You're spending a lot of money. Yep. Mm hmm. Their abundance of gas brings the local price down, while they continue to take advantage of the global demand for fuel. But even this fuel is not a certain resource. Right. You know, in the Old Testament, the prophets Elijah and Elisha were used several times to release God's provision. Elisha provided the widow with all the oil she could handle to offset the financial predicament she was in. Elijah released rain that ended the drought. Elisha broke the famine over Samaria that was so severe that even children were being eaten. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. Lots of stuff in the Old Testament. Yeah. In 2 Kings 7, 1 through 2, it says, Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. Ooh, nothing's impossible with God. Mm -hmm. That's That's his economy right there. Yes. Elisha's prophecy of supernatural provision was utterly unbelievable to this officer. That very day... Dove's droppings were selling for five shekels of silver, Hmm. and now fine flour was going to sell for one shekel of silver. How could this be possible? How could that happen in one day? Mm -hmm. Because we have a good God. Yes, we do. The answer is that the prophetic can access supernatural treasure. Right. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper, says 2 Chronicles 20.20. Right. When Elijah prophesied God's deliverance, the king's officer said it couldn't happen. The officer's faith and hope were gone, but God's words came true anyway. Sometimes we become preoccupied with problems when we should be looking for opportunities. 
This is where we can develop an attitude of expectancy. Right. Later that day, God caused the Syrian army to hear the noises of chariots, horses, and a great army. And they ran off and left all their tents, donkeys, horses, and supplies. There was gold, silver, food, and everything. The officer who doubted was trampled by the people who rushed off to get all the supplies. He saw the abundance but never benefited from it. Wow. One of the Lord's favorite trademarks is allowing us to spoil the enemy's plans. He can provide manna from heaven, water from the rock, and many loaves and fishes from hardly anything. Mm-hmm. But he, what he really likes to do is turn over to us with no significant effort on our part, the wealth of the nations, just as he did when Israel plundered Egypt's wealth during the Exodus. Isn't God good? Yeah, yes. he loves to bless us. Yes, right. and blow us away. And blow us yes. away. He loves to surprise us. Yep. He loves to bring us joy. And show how great he is. Yes. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. That's right. He deserves our glory. Yes. Yes. This prophetic gifting will be the greatest source for changing the economical balance of power these last days. Several nations, institutions, and people sit at the top of the mountain of economy and wealth. The United States and other so-called G8 nations, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Russia, and the United Kingdom, represent 65% of the world's economy and from a very powerful bloc. Mm -hmm. The oil industry is currently high on the mountain. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, among other top financiers are very influential. All is subject to change. That's right. Yes, it is. Yep. The geographical top of this mountain is New York City, mm-hmm. primarily because of Wall Street. World currency traders affect the world economy at this time, and any concentrated blocks working together in that realm can theoretically manipulate the wealth of the nations. Further down the mountain are regional and local considerations. In a globally interconnected economy, even less significant stock markets can affect all of them. But clearly, the top of the mountain is able to manipulate and dominate the entire mountain. A great place of influence at lower levels is being able to affect the say-so as local budgets are applied. This would include key financial advisory roles to governors, mayors, and other local leadership. This influence not only has local impact, but also can substantially impact other nations. So what does the Bible say about economy? I'm sure it says a lot. (laughs) The Bible covers the topic of wealth extensively. It says in Haggai 2, 6-9, which is a very significant and insightful prophecy, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, in a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the dead and dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. That's a lot of Lord of hosts. Well, yes. he's re- reemphasizing. When I he says it. it that many times, remember who I am. Remember who right, I am. Remember who I am. You know, because he's the Lord of hosts. Right. He's the Lord of God's angel armies. Yes. That's what he's saying. Yes. And I've got this covered. Right. And you don't need to trust in anybody else but me. Right. right. I know all and I see all. And I will take care of it. Right. You yes. know, it's, it's again, anytime the Lord shows up and does miraculous things, it just builds our faith up. Yeah. And yeah. so when we read the words in the Bible, it should build our faith up right. all over and over and over again. Right. And just go, yes. You know, believe God's word is true. Right. And trust in it. 
And it makes you just have this reverence for him because you realize that he's the creator of all things. Right. And he's the one that can pull us out of, you know, any nonsense that we're in, even in our own personal lives, around the world, the economy that we're talking about. He can do all of it. But see, that's why when so many people don't read God's word, right, and they get pulled away and they look at the news, they look Mm -hmm. at everything going on around them, it can pull you down into a deep pit of depression, right? right? And all it does is it takes your eyes off God and it puts your eyes on Satan and what he's doing. You just, you magnify Satan's power. Right. What you should be doing is turning your face and your eyes towards God's word and soaking that in and believing his word and saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it will confirm in your heart, this is truth. Yes. When you read it and you right. take it and you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the right. word while you're reading it, mm-hmm. it will be magnified in your heart like a yes. hundred times. And then it's like all the other stuff, all the worries, they just fall off. Yep. And that's why it's so important to keep your eyes on the Lord in yes. his word and not look at the world. Have an intimate relationship with right. him. Right. Because that's the key. Changes everything. It yep. changes all, all of our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. And when you saturate saturate yourself in the word of God, right. It's like meat that's been marinated, yes. you know? It tastes so much better, right? right. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> you know, and when you're marinated in the word of God, your whole life changes. Your yes. whole perspective and your outlook changes, right? Right? That's right. A it's a very there. empowering thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing too is that all the money is his. None of it's ours. That's right. right. That's what he's saying. All we the think silver we have control. is mine. Yeah. He's saying all the silver's mine, the gold is mine. Every resource we have in the earth is God's. He made all it. his. Mm-hmm. Yep. He says the cat he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? right. I mean, that's a an old saying from, you know, the Bible, but it's true. Right. All of God's word is true. Right. So everything, if you're, you know, needing resources, and we'll find out more when we read more of Johnny's, you know, testimonies, but God can show a prophet things that man can't see yes. and then you go and discover it and you're like oh my gosh you know look we we just discovered the silver mine right <laughs> we're millionaires exactly. you know or billionaires right, right? because right. god knows where everything is hidden yes you know and he'll show us yeah. when we need it mm-hmm. that's right mm-hmm. so good so this passage covers an arrangement of end time perspectives mm-hmm. five times god's called the lord of hosts like you said laura which speaks to his appearance in the latter days as ruler of the nations and commander of his army. Right. His hosts include Elijah revolutionaries. When he comes in takeover mode, he will shake everything that can be shaken. Yes, it's awesome. In Hebrews twelve twenty-five through 29, it builds on this concept. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him, God, who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Yes. The reason he's shaking everything that can be shaken is so that only the unshakable, the kingdom of God, will remain. Right. We, his children, are meant to receive his unshakable kingdom. The more that happens, the closer I say a two 
too comes to fulfillment. The mountain of the Lord's house is established over every other mountain. For this reason, Babylon must be shaken until it collapses, for it is an economic system built on something other than the trust in God. Right. Right. It's key. All that is not centered in God is shakable and will ultimately collapse. Haggai speaks of this shaking as causing all the nations to recognize that God is the desire of all nations. God will be treasured above the riches around the world. When God shakes the nations and reveals his kingdom, his temple will be filled with unprecedented glory. It will be filled with peace regardless of what rages outside. As the Antichrist pushes for dependence on an economic mark of the beast, God will reveal that the silver is his and the gold is his. There it is again. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's all his. Emphasis. Right. Only those who are temporarily and foolishly deceived by the beast will choose to go down with Babylon. Right. First, God will shake that mark out of his own household as it's a significant problem among those in his own temple, cleansing it of mammon. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the prophetic picture Jesus gave us in John two thirteen through 15, when he cleaned the temple. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip out of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables." Jesus' historic cleansing of the temple is familiar to most of us, and we get the basic premise that the Lord does not want his temple to be turned into a center of greed and money-making. Right. However, the next two verses indicate that there is more to it than first meets the eye. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves were all driven out, but the text goes out of its way to point out the target of Jesus' harshest words. Those who sold doves, of course, are a prophetic picture of the Holy Spirit. They can be a symbol for a specific anointing of God. In fact, the Lord is saying he will come and judge those who merchandise the anointing because it defiles his temple. Yes. Johnny believes that much of this merchandising of the anointing is going on in his temple today, mm-hmm. and it really must be cleaned up. Right. Yep. I mean, there's nothing wrong with selling books, tapes, magazines, CDs, and so on. That's not in itself evidence of merchandising the anointing. Right. But the step from offering resources to merchandising the Spirit of God is very small and easy to take. Mm-hmm. Yep. We can start out with a pure desire to distribute the good things God has entrusted us with which does cost money, but at some point, profit can become a motivating factor in deciding how and where we minister. We move from an acceptable distribution method to a bottom-line business. Mm -hmm. When it crosses that line, we become a merchandiser of the anointing and put ourselves in the Lord's upcoming line of fire. Jesus warns us of the deceitfulness of riches for good reason in Mark 4.19. We must come out of Babylon or we will suffer for her sins. Mm -hmm. I like how Kenneth Copeland shared how we can pray for the seven mountains of influence and this being the economic mountain. Business is powerful in our culture. The free market system is one that is given to us by God, enabling us to grow a healthy economy and build personal wealth. This mountain is important as without finances, none of the other mountains can grow. That's right. 
With that in mind, we can pray for kingdom-minded leaders to rise to the top of the big businesses as CEOs, and that they will be among those who have the greatest influence. We can let the godly rise to the top of each industry and be leaders of integrity and creators of economic blessing. Let them be givers of resources to the community and speak boldly for righteousness without fear. We can pray that men and women who are called to be in the marketplace will have a revelation of their high calling and walk in it, being blessed and seeing supernatural increase. We can pray against the operation of unlawful, ungodly businesses that perpetrates in and hurts our society, such as drug and alcohol, abortion, pornography, and sex trafficking industries. We can pray that strongholds keeping the centers for profit and operation will be pulled down in the mighty name of Jesus. Mm, Amen. So good. That's good. You know, prophets carry a very important role in the taking of the mountain of economy. The scripture from Isaiah 61.6 speaks of a, a future transfer of wealth. Yeah. It says, you shall eat of the riches of the Gentile nations. We also see it in Isaiah 65 where it says, the wealth of the Gentile nations shall come to you. So many of us have really speculated on how this is going to happen, but Johnny points out that the most strategies for pulling it off involved using wisdom that comes from the world. And he compares that kind of thinking to what he calls Ishmael solution, where Abram, you know, Abram took matters into his own hands to fulfill God's promise to, you know, that was given to him. And instead, Johnny emphasized 2 Chronicles 20:20, 20, 20, the verse we we already read where it says, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper, right? Yep, yep. So the word prosper is the same Hebrew word used to describe Joseph as a prosperous man in Genesis 39.2. He says that our tendency is to spiritualize this word, but it definitely implies material wealth. So according to this verse, a key to prosperity lies in the role of the prophets and hearing God's strategy. He also points out that the false prophets are motivated by profit, you know, regardless of whether his prophetic gifting is valid. A true prophet does not function out of money motives. Right. Yeah. So Johnny has seen that the Lord move, you know, in some amazing ways and it, as it relates to the prophetic uncovering of wealth. And Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And the very next verse reiterates that same point. Again, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Right. So this is a guiding principle for how he practices and teaches on prophetic ministry. He says, it doesn't take a prophetic gift to see the field where the treasure lies. That's just the gift of the obvious, you know, seeing the negative situation of an individual or a nation. But how the reign of heaven is activated on the earth is in using the prophetic gift discover the treasure or pearl that's hidden there. And as we call the treasure forth, it surfaces from the dirt. So let me just share Johnny's testimony on how this has worked for him in the past. You know, several years ago, Johnny went into the jungle city of Sapasoa, Peru. It was his first trip into an extremely poor and beaten up city. Years of narco-terrorism and the government strike back against it had left the city very isolated, needy, and destitute. He asked to meet with the mayor and was received by him, and the mayor shared the challenges facing the city. Johnny began telling the mayor, who wasn't a Christian, that he had been chosen for such a time as this and that God honored his good heart towards his people. And then Johnny told him some things prophetically. He said, God is going to help you with the economy of your city. There will be things discovered that have never been discovered here before, and these things will bless the economy of your city. 
Also, I think a lost city of the Incas or Indian civilization is going to be found around here and is going to garner this place much attention. He then explained that he was telling him these things so that when they occurred, he would give credit to God for his help. He then asked if he could pray for him, which he did. Amazingly, the mayor then turned to Johnny and he said, I'm having this day declared as a historic day in the city of Sapasoa. And I'm going to have a plaque put up in the city hall that declares that you are an illustrious guest of this city. And I'm going to give you the keys to the city. And I'd like you to be with me tomorrow when the city gate, the city parade goes by. And would you please, you know, pray for my wife? She has a nervous disorder. <laughs> so Johnny prayed for her and she was healed. Wow, God's and then, good. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Wow. And then Johnny found out later that when he had laid hands, you know, on the mayor, yeah. he was healed of a migraine headache. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So the next time he went to the city, Johnny was received at the entrance of the city by all the leaders. And all city school kids were in their marching uniforms. And they led a parade into town where he was given the keys to the city and welcomed, you know, to freely have meetings in the central square. And over, the, over a thousand gave their lives to the Lord. And hundreds were healed in the meetings during the next couple of days. And so great. I know, right? And then subsequently, the mayor gave his life to the Lord. And Johnny says, truly, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Wow. Right? So awesome. So good. So good. You know, Johnny said. We're going to see a lot of that. Yeah. In this new kingdom era that we're Oh, yeah. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. This is just one example that, you know, has happened to many, many people, but we just don't hear those stories. We don't hear about it. Right? Right. That's what he wants for us. Right. Right. Blessings. And the more we talk yes. about the miraculous, the, the more, more encouraged we are, yep. the more less depressed we are. And it fills us up with faith. Right. Yes. That's what, right? that's what the enemy doesn't want. Yeah. So Johnny said that, you know, he strongly believes that one of the reasons the Lord responded so powerfully and quickly to this prophetic word was because of the mayor's immediate and profound acceptance of his words. Wow. Like he believed him. Mm-hmm. His migraine's disappearance was a sign to him. And so he embraced that prophecy and he honored him as if the word had already been spoken, you know, long before it actually right. was. Yeah. And and because of the favor that God gave Johnny in that jungle city, he was invited to speak at a prestigious national pastors conference in Lima, Peru. At the conference, Johnny told the pastors that God was going to transform their national economy and take all sectors of Peru society. He would invade government and begin to place believers in many key positions of society. Wow. He said that he saw Peru becoming a very wealthy nation in South America, and it would be a lending nation rather than a debtor nation, and would one day send missionaries to the Middle East. And then Johnny told them that the Lord would give them a sign so that they could believe, and a significant gold mine would soon be discovered in Trujillo, which is a city of one million that wasn't even known for mining. And he told them that this mine would not be the actual financial blessing, but rather a sign that God would use to trigger their faith so that they could believe for the greater blessings to come. Wow. See how faith elevates that? Yeah. And it makes it happen? Right. That's right. That's something key to remember. Yes. Three months later, Johnny visited Trujillo and was being interviewed on a radio show. And the interviewer asked him what he saw prophetically for the city. He shared some things that the Lord had given him and shared the things the Lord had allowed him to prophesy, you know, three months earlier about the significant gold mine that was would soon be discovered there in Trujillo. And when while he was there on the air, Johnny's chauffeur 
who happened to also work for a mining company, interrupted him and he said, Prophet, we have just discovered the largest gold mine in the history of Peru. It was just in the last couple of weeks, and the initial scrapings to come out of it were valued at $176 million. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Just the scrapings. Everyone was so excited that Johnny was kept on that radio show for like an extra hour or so, and the mayor of the city ended up calling in, too. You know, it's so amazing to me wow. that the guy worked all that out. That the chauffeur, right, you know, right. right there at right. the right time to, to hear, to, just to proclaim God, what you know, his prophecy came true, right? And 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 the whole thing with you said the initial scrapings, right. just the initial, just the initial scrapings, scrapings were valued at one hundred and seventy six million, million dollars. It's a complete divine appointment. Is oh, that nuts or goodness. what? Wow. <laughs> God is so good. Yeah. Yes. yes. So Johnny goes on to tell even more exciting stories of prophetic words, you know, spoken to prominent leaders and then discoveries that are made, you know, helping those cities become prosperous. He's got so many stories. Yeah. You know, but his point is that prophetic ministry can surface treasures. Yeah. Again, just as it says in Second Chronicles 2020, if you believe in his prophets, you shall prosper. Yeah. That's what God's word said. Yep. So we yes. need to believe it and trust in that. Right. 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 Scripture says in Habakkuk 2.14, the whole world will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And one of the definitions of glory is riches, all kinds of riches. Right. God's glory in every aspect of creation, including the material, is woven into the world everywhere. Innumerable treasures are waiting to be discovered and prophetically called out of obscurity. Entirely new fuel sources or simple, simple natural cures for deadly diseases those kind of things. Yeah. You know, right. and Johnny points out that the real treasure is Jehovah Jireh. Right. You know, who can call forth every source of provision for those who trust in him. Hearing God's voice is the asset beyond assets for the last days when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Right. And if we're connected to the ultimate unshakable asset, it won't matter when our corrupt society collapses. This is why the, you know, the Apostle Paul emphasizes the desire of the gift of prophecy. He mentions that in 1 Corinthians 14.1, that this is why the coming revolution must be an Elijah revolution. Yes. A prophetic yes. renewal unleashes across the earth. Above all other gifts, the voice of the Lord must be restored to his church. Right. Johnny ends with this statement. He says, the transfer of wealth is not going to come through our Christian brain power. In most cases... We will just fall right into it. Yep. And a Christian never needs to pursue wealth. Only the one, right. meaning Yahweh, yes. who is the one who is wealthy. Right. If we don't get this point, the wealth itself will compete for the seed of God in our lives. Right. Right. So Johnny says that the way that we will take this mountain of economy is by first sanctifying ourselves by being cleansed of the love of money. He says that if we are going to take part of taking this mountain, we must first come out of her. Yes. That's quoting from Revelation 18.4, where the verse says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. That's so good. So Johnny believes that the primary call for most who will influence this mountain is to be influencers of those who have the actual resources. He says that even Joseph you know, in the Bible, didn't really have Egypt's resources. They belonged to Pharaoh. Right. But right. rather the influence over how they were collected and distribu distributed is how God will fill this mountain with those people who manage the resources of others. And he adds that whether a person uses their own resources or has stewardship over the wealth of others, kingdom motivation must be their driving passion. 
whenever a, a desire for profit exceeds a desire for the kingdom to come, that person cannot be greatly used by the Lord on this mountain. Mm-hmm. And Johnny also points out that intercessory prayer is needed in taking this mountain to overcome the strategies of the enemy to bring about destruction to our economy. One very significant point of action strategy that Johnny has seen is that the Lord intends to greatly use and promote righteous charitable relief organizations. This is interesting. He says that there will soon be many natural disasters throughout the world and that those accustomed to responding will experience emotional and financial burnout. The Lord will bankroll and bless those who are called by him to step into the gap. He says that they will be like Isaiah 61.4, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall rise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. He says that those who have kingdom understanding in this area will see that these coming relief organizations will actually carry great privilege and authority to promote and initiate righteous nation building. Well, you know, it's like you Uh, said with him that God's going to bankroll it. I mean, we just talked about that. Mm -hmm. You know, how much, 130-something million dollars that they found in a whatever. Just the scrapings, yeah. My goodness. Mm -hmm. He's going to just provide. It's going to be miraculous. It's going to be, we're all going to know that it it came from God. And, and, you know, Johnny is very prophetic. He's also an apostle. Right. And so he sees these things that are coming. And like he sees this, that there's going to be some disasters. Yeah. But he sees there's going to be an anointing on people to step up and step into place to rebuild things in the right way. Right. Right? So that gives people a heads up of, hey, you know what? Maybe we need to start educating our students and giving them opportunities in school instead of always focusing on science and math. Give them some opportunities to learn craft skills and, right. and building skills and engineering yes. skills, those kind of things. I mean, right. you need the math for that too, right? right. But, but it's just there's such an emphasis on, again, like what he said, the left brain thinking. Yes. You need to also use those craft skills because we're going to need builders. Right. We're right. going to need engineers, yep. foremen, people like that. And, you know, we want good craftsmen. Yes. And we want those with excellent skills to step in and do the rebuilding. We want the buildings to be safe, right. secure, with strong so, foundations. Right. I mean, that yeah. gives you a heads up anyway just to start preparing for that. Right. And be ready for those kind of things. Yeah. And and then the Lord's going to bless you because you believe the prophets right. and what they saw coming. Yep. Right? And that's, that's why right. God gifts us that way. Yeah. So good. He is good. You know, as the fear of the Lord becomes a reality around the world, multiple Josephs will be raised up in many nations to oversee their, you know, extreme makeovers. Right. And one very important statement that Johnny makes is that no Christian who embraces and abandon the planet theology, you know, will be much used to the big picture of what God wants to do here on the earth. They will still have that, you know, relationship with God to go on to heaven when they die. But when arriving there, they will be struck by how thoroughly they were deceived by the doctrine of demons. You know, Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And Luke 19.13 says, Occupy until I come. Yes. So Jesus will not return for a desperate, beaten up, defeated church. Right. But for a victorious church who has fulfilled her occupation. The mountain of economy and wealth is extremely significant as an occupation that must and will and 
will be done. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mammon has been ruling, and the Canaanites of greed and poverty have long been dominating. Mm-hmm. And it will all change as Elijah revolutionaries hear the call of God and take this mountain. Yes, and I can't yeah. wait to see what God does. It's going to be amazing. Right. Yes, it is. You know, I think we're all waiting for the X to fall regarding our current economy. Is it going to collapse? Are we headed for another economic crisis that will take us years to recover from? You know, it's hovering all the time just above us, trying to oppress and cause fear in our hearts. And if we believe the lie of the enemy, then we have lost hope. But if we trust in God, there's always hope. You know, and God never meant for us to live in lack, right? He wants to bless us. That's right. But that's what the enemy puts out there. You know, we are to put our trust and faith in God, and he will provide all that we need. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Right. It's right there in his word. Mm -hmm. God is absolutely good, and he has a better way of life for all of us to live. We must seek his guidance and direction so we may live with the abundant provisions that he has in store for us. But first, we must learn about the enemy that sits on top of this mountain. The more we understand about our enemy, the easier it will be to take him down. In each of the previous episodes we have done on the seven mountains of influence, I've given you the it that is at the top of each of these mountains. And it simply means descendant of. So these are descendants. So let's do a quick review of the ites that we will be talking about. This goes all the way back to Genesis in the Old Testament. They are the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And these are all descendants of Noah's son, Ham. And there's a whole backstory to Ham. We just don't have time to discuss it today, but maybe we can explain it in another episode. Yep, be good. Yep. So we have discussed three of the seven mountains of influence and the ite that is attached to each one in previous episodes. So for the mountain of media, the ite we talked about was the Hittites. For the mountain of government, the ite is the Girgashites. And for the mountain of education, the ite was or is the Amorites. And the ite for the mountain of economy is the Canaanites. So Johnny and Elizabeth Inlow explain the meaning of Canaanite in their book, Rise, a reformer's handbook for the seven mountains. Canaanite means merchant or trader, and, and it originates from a word meaning both zealous and brought low. It speaks of the enemy's strategy to use greed on this mountain to ultimately bring people and their nation's economy down. In order to take their promised land, the Israelites had to conquer the Canaanites. And they were one of the seven ites that the Israelites had to take down before they could enter their promised land. So the Canaanites represent the love of money and the demons of greed that operate on the mountain of economy, as well as the strategy to convince people that money is their true source of provision. Money is not our true source of provision. No, it is not. The Lord is our provider. God is, Mm -hmm. right. So the same is similar for us in the current time we live in. We will have to conquer the Canaanites on the mountain of economy to get to our promised land. One of God's many names is Jehovah Jireh, and it means the Lord, my provider. Mm -hmm. And Johnny says, when we buy into the Canaanites philosophy, we either live under the banner of financial hopelessness or the banner of financial euphoria. When we choose Jehovah Jireh, we live under the banner of the Lord's provision. That's so much better. Mm -hmm. God will provide more than we could ask or think. His heart is for every person in every nation to live under his provision. He delights in providing for all of his children. The Canaanites on this mountain oppose him and us by putting us under a constant stressor of needing more and more without ever being content or by setting up circumstances where survival is imperiled. So these goals feed off of each other. The Canaanite of greed will open the door for one to experience another Canaanite spirit, which is poverty. And the same spirits that cause starvation in Africa 
also cause Westerners to be spiritually lost in materialism. I thought mm-hmm. that was a really good point right. that Johnny made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Johnny says, though money and resources are a blessing from God, the zeal for those resources is the root of all kinds of evil. And Satan's illegal principality that sits at the top of the mountain of economy is mammon. His name means avarice or extreme greed. Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Right. Mammon wrestles for God's seat in your life. He tells you he is actually your source for all true provision and therefore for all peace and happiness. He is so deceptive. And his web is so intriguing that most of us are caught up in it to some degree. Mm. Mammon's influence in us shows up as an excessive desire for money and wealth. In other words, greed. First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is, is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Mammon's demonic strategy is to fill society with people who look to money rather than God as their source of provision. Continuing the cycle of broken economic systems that are rooted in greed rather than a trust in God as provider. Mammon subtly and deceitfully competes for the throne of God in our lives and says, I am your source. It shows up as extreme capitalism with guardrails. Mammon exalts an aggressive lifestyle of leveraging every minute, every person, and every opportunity for the ultimate purpose of making more money. It masks as stewardship, but only stewards the pursuit of money. Right. Mammon is illustratively like the slot machines of Vegas. It may give you some early returns, but then crashes you into poverty because it's not the way we were designed by God to make wealth. Right. And I really like what Johnny says here. He says, people who work in business and influence the economic system are not the enemy. Even the most greedy and corrupt are not the problem. They are often partnering with Satan and the demonic realm without even realizing it. So the true enemy is Satan. He's the father of lies, who doesn't want us to live free from greed, because when we do, we'll discover the generous heart of God as provider, who loves to provide for us and through us for others. We need to understand who our enemy is. It's usually not people. It's Satan and his demons that are operating through people. And like Johnny said, some people don't even realize it. Satan tries to get us out of balance in one way or another, either by pushing us to pursue money too much or convincing us to settle for poverty. He enslaves us to a fear of losing everything, provoking us to hoard in dread of a disaster. He does whatever it takes to keep us stressed, worried, and always focused on money. Do y'all feel that way sometimes? No, I don't. But I've known other people that are like hoarders. Yes. And they're so afraid that they're going to run out. I mean, that is a spirit of poverty. Right. And again, it's just a driving spirit all the time. and. Can you imagine just a feeling of never feeling satisfied? Right. Never feeling content. I mean, a that's, lot of people feel that way. But that's just got to have so much stress on right. your body. You know, the physiological yeah. effect of stress on your body is horrible, right? Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, I just think about that and I'm like, but, but when you have that intimacy, again, that's the key. When you have that intimacy with the Lord and you're looking to Him, there's a peace. That just covers your whole mind and your spirit, your body. Right. Everything reacts and it becomes so peaceful and at rest. And your body rejuvenates. You know, right. it totally rejuvenates when you're at peace like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember years ago, you know, growing up, we lived at least 35 minutes from a supermarket, right. you know, out in the country. And we would, we just had tons of canned goods, mm-hmm. two free, two 
fridges, you know, refrigerators right, and freezers right. and just because with the snow, the amount of snow in upstate New yeah, York. Yeah, you could be stuck in yeah. your house for months. You, you wouldn't right. know. But still, you know, when we would go, we would completely pack the cart because we didn't know right. when we were going to need it or if we had enough right. in storage. But it does. It also does create this idea that, oh, we, we've always got to be prepared. Yes. Yeah. You know, there was... Um, for something. A while back, around 9-11. Yeah. And uh, I had a... I mean, there's just a lot of panic with people, right. you know, at that time. And the Lord gave me a dream. And I'm just going to share this off the fly here. <laughs> but the Lord gave me a dream, and I was in this tent, a lo- little tent, you know, like a one-man tent. And there, I could see out the window of the tent all these people rushing around in chaos, and they were hoarding stores and, wow. you know, like going through the stores and taking things and stuff. And I'm just sitting in the tent, and this bird came along, like a blackbird, and it came and it landed inside the tent, and it brought me food. Wow. I know. I know, isn't that crazy? But then, um, and then the bird went away, and then this little puppy came along and came into my tent and brought me food. And I woke up from that dream, and I'm like, what? And then I remembered Elijah and how the ravens yes. fed him, right? When oh, he was right. by the stream. God's going to take care of you. Right? right? And it was God. And God was saying in that dream, the interpretation to the dream that I got was, if you remain in my tent of covering, get it? It's yeah. a, it's, I love play on words. Yes. So the Lord always does that in my dreams. So if you remain in my tent, in a place of worship with me, in a place of intimacy, I will provide for all of your needs. You don't have to be like those people out there going crazy, hoarding in fear. You just stay in my tent of dwelling, and I'll bring everything you need. All your provisions will be met. He's Jehovah Jireh. Right. He's our provider. And I've never, never stressed like that. Now, if somebody says, you know, something might be coming, you should probably stock up. Sure. Common sense says, well, go make sure you got some toilet paper. Right. You know, <laughs> not hoard it. Just get some some toilet paper. Right. You know, make sure you've got canned goods, things that you can have to to eat that you know doesn't require a whole lot of cooking, and you can't refrigerate if you don't have electricity. Yeah. So it's just stuff like that. We keep things, you know, in our pantry, but it's not like I'm going crazy and I'm living in fear. Right. You know, right. it's just because I know the Lord is my provider. Right. And even if we ran out of food, I'd know he'd bring somebody to us that would provide for he us. He did. Yeah. He proved that to you when you were growing up with right. your parents because they were pastors. Right. Right. He just provided yeah. a whole sack of groceries when yes. they didn't have anything to eat. Right. You know, it's just uh, that we have to live on faith and right. trust in the Lord Jehovah Jireh. Yeah. You know, my husband, when for a long time, he still struggles with it. Got to have this freezer stocked. Got to have their pantry mm-hmm. stocked. Got to have this. Got to have that. And I, you know, I was trying to keep up with it, trying to do all that for the longest. And I'm like, dude, all the food's expiring. Like, why are we keeping all this food? We can't eat all of this food. Right, right. You know, and I don't need 25 cans of corn. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I don't, don't even... eat that much corn. <laughs> hey, if you really want to do it, get some spam. Right. That'll last forever. <laughs> I ate that. Oh, my gosh. Child, I'm like, sardines. I'm tired of going through the closet or the pantry and throwing and having it out. to yeah I'm like we're, we're we've been that's fine. a waste right it's, we're we're okay we're okay god's taking right. care of us right you yes. know especially the, y'all heard my testimony what we went through we, we did struggle with not having right. food and right and that brought all that stuff back to my husband it just made him in panic fear. Mode. Mm-hmm. but god took care of it 
You know, yeah. it's because yes. we trusted in him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we think like that, right? We end up not trusting in God, our provider, who not only has all wealth, but can create wealth and riches out of nothing. Correct. Right? That's right. That's our God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to talk about Mammon's strategy on the mountain of economy. So his strategy is to prevent the face of God as provider from being restored to society, to prevent humanity from having access to the truth of how God loves us through the way he provides riches and abundance of resources through our economy. To prevent people from knowing that God enjoys providing riches for us and through us. And to prevent people from experiencing a healed perspective of the goodness of God through the mountain of economy. A mountain ultimately meant to assure us that God is generous and has provision for us. That's right. He's good. Mm-hmm. And the archangel that fights on the mountain of economy is Zerachiel. His name means provided or sent by God. His name reveals his assignment, which is to assist in restoring the image of God in the earth as provider. Zerachiel and his host of angel armies serve the Lord of hosts by helping the sons and daughters of God who are called to impact the mountain of economy. They are focused on assisting current and future ministers of wealth in their positions among the nations as conduits for resourcing kingdom solutions that ultimately display God's generous heart as provider. Zerachiel fights with us to overcome the demonic realm by making sure that those who put their trust in God have favor and opportunities to discover finances and resources. That's just amazing to me. Yes, right. You know, Johnny and Elizabeth and Lowe explained how they knew which archangel was assigned to each mountain in their book, Rise, a Reformer's Handbook for the Seven Mountains. So if you want more information on this, we encourage you to order the book. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. With the color of the rainbow, the color of the rainbow that is connected to the mountain of economy is green. That one doesn't surprise me. Green. The money's green, right? <laughs> yep. So green is the color because it reminds us of growth and prosperity. And even U.S. dollars are called greenbacks. When something is green-lighted, we think of moving forward, right? Right. right. So in chromotherapy, the study in science of healing through colors, it has been identified that the color green may relax nerves and assist the body as an antiseptic against harmful microorganisms. It makes sense that when our spirit knows it's being provided for by God, it puts us at peace. Right. Strengthening our body's defense against harmful lies from the enemy that would tempt us to believe that he can't be trusted to provide for us individually as well as collectively as nations. And the big lie about God on the mountain of economy is it's pointless to trust God for riches or provision. We know that's not true. Total lie. It's not yeah. true. You know, every time we're exposed to the mountain of economy, the enemy wants our takeaway to be the only way for me to have enough is to count on my own ability to accumulate finances and resources. God doesn't get involved in everyday money matters, so I have to figure it out myself. He may sometimes help with basic needs, but he certainly wouldn't help me, nor is he okay with abundant riches. That's I've heard that so many times. Me too. Thanks. I've mm-hmm. had some of those thoughts myself. Yes, I, yeah, you know, I have too. Before I understood who my God truly is. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. It's so disheartening that so many people think this way. He is our provider. Mm-hmm. Yes. He wants us to be abundance, overflow, you know, riches, all those things he talks about right. in his word. So when we come in, into agreement with this lie, this literally steals from God's children. It's why so many fall into alignment with mammon and choose his method of fear and greed. They simply don't understand what God has for them, so they listen to the lies of the enemy. They are filled with fear and under the weight of finding and keeping the riches that are needed, so the strategy of greed is seen as their answer. When we are convinced God does provide for us, it registers as peace and trust. When wealth has been gained through extreme self-effort and greed, there's no amount of riches that satisfies the heart, and sorrow certainly follows. Sons and daughters of God are secured in their hearts regardless of their bank account size. They are secured by their personal revelation of God's heart of provision towards them, knowing who He is and how He becomes their anchor. 
how this lie about God plays out in culture is, when we don't believe we can trust God for what we need, we revert back to what we unfortunately learned in school, which is depend on yourself and don't count on any, on anyone else. So mammon competes for the place of preeminence in our lives. When we give ourselves permission to be lovers of money, we set ourselves up to resent God. Don't want to do that. No. So no matter what financial gain you attain, if it lessens your trust in God, it's your enemy and not your friend. And the big truth about God on the mountain of economy is God enjoys providing riches for us and through us. He loves to bless us. Yes. yes. He loves to provide for us without an agenda because he's kind and that is his very nature. He is much more relational and generous than we can imagine. He provides everything we need here on earth and he doesn't stop there. He has also gone into eternity and already prepared for all that we need there too. That's our good God. Mm-hmm. And finally, in order to partner with God on the mountain of economy, we must truly know God as provider ourselves. This requires intimacy with him. Learn to reflect who he is as your provider personally. Let him guide and teach you how to make all of your financial decisions that will lead to potential riches. Mm-hmm. So if you feel you are called to the mountain of economy, pray and ask God to give you revelation and instruction on what you are to do. Ask him to show you how you can partner with him in taking back this mountain from the pens- from the principality of mammon. There is no economic crisis on earth that God has not already placed the solution for in his sons and daughters who are willing to co-labor with him. We need to awaken to who he is and what he is all about and then arise and shine with what he has given us. Together, we can take this mountain back from the enemy. That's a good yes. one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's time to close. That was a lot to right. cover today. So thanks it's for advice. being patient. A lot of with good us. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And next week we will discuss the mountain of religion, which is going to be really good. Yeah. And we just want to close with this scripture from Deuteronomy eight eighteen. It says, "But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors, as it is today." Yes, and today's episode was edited by Caitlin Beck. Thank you, Caitlin, for all that you do for us. We want to reference again Johnny Enlow's book, The Seven Mountain Prophecy, and and, uh, Johnny and Elizabeth Enlow's book, Rise, A Reformer's Handbook for the Seven Mountains. Before you go, we invite you to please leave a written review anywhere you listen to this podcast. The more positive reviews we receive will lead to more listeners that God can reach. Also, please subscribe. We would appreciate it very much. Yeah, we just want to thank you for listening and allowing us to pour pure truth into you today. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at puretruthpodcast3 at gmail.com. Yeah, and please visit our website. Mine is kathyzaka.com. Mine is laurapotter.us. And mine is susanoffin.com. And we hope you'll join us next time. And remember, live thirsty. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Until next time, Susan, Laura, and Kathy. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid.
Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.